You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. Today is Sunday. November 28th, 2021, I am helping lead music at Summit View Community Church in Evans, Colorado. If you're in the area, feel free to stop in, join us. But before I go early for practice, I'd like to talk about a couple of things. One of those things being Christmas movies. Last night was family movie night in our house, which is also homemade pizza night in our house. And I pulled up a list of between half a dozen and a dozen popular, famous, beloved Christmas movies. And I put together a watch list on Amazon Prime. Yes, we still use Amazon Prime, even though... I think it would be great for us to get off of these platforms. I'm also not so impractical that I'm going to toss my iPhone in the trash and get off of Verizon and get off of Comcast's Xfinity internet service and get out of Amazon Prime and retreat to the mountains. I don't have the resources to make that jump. I don't have the time or the energy, but I think if other things come along, great. In the meantime, when I've got Christmas movies to watch, I'm watching them on Amazon Prime because it is easy and convenient. But we've got a wish list, a watch list of movies to watch before Christmas, including... How the Grinch Stole Christmas, A Charlie Brown Christmas, A Christmas Carol, the one starring George C. Scott. There are several that are quite good, but we'll go with the one starring George C. Scott, I think. Also, A Christmas Story, also The Nativity Story, also It's a Wonderful Life, and Elf. And depending on how busy we are, if me and the older boys can break away, maybe we'll watch Die Hard for the first time. I've actually never seen Die Hard. True story. I've never seen Die Hard. I hear there's some debate as to whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I watched the trailer. You can hear Christmas music in the trailer. So I... I want to weigh in on this debate. I can't weigh in intelligently unless I watch this movie. So I just have to watch the movie, I guess. But that's on the list. We didn't watch that one last night, though, because I wanted to watch a Christmas movie with the whole family. Everybody. All of us, let's watch. Eat pizza. Nobody left out. And it just so happened that Elise Chavez daughter of JP and Monica Chavez, two houses down. She was over hanging out with Evelyn and 
So then our kiddos said, hey, can she stay and eat pizza with us and watch a movie with us? Sure, yeah, you bet. And so then I think she went and got her brothers. I don't know if they were here. Maybe they were already here. Her younger twin brothers, Jonathan and Norman. And all three came over. Monica came over as well. JP was out driving truck, working last night. But Chavez just came over. Lauren and Monica had conversation downstairs. Me and ten children watched Elf. And Elf really is a charming, funny movie. It really does not get old. The humor is just right. It's charming in this anti-cynical sort of a way. It tackles the cynicism head on. And it shows you this very stark contrast of somebody being completely without reservation. Buddy the Elf is not self-conscious. He is not worried about whether people think he is ridiculous or a crazy person. He's not worried about that. He is just himself. And he's grown up almost like a weird, adaptive homeschool kid from the North Pole. He's enthusiastic. He's curious about everything. Very friendly, very cheerful. Why are you smiling? The guy asks him at Gimbel's. I like smiling. Smiling's my favorite. And the guy, manager, whatever, that Gimbel's is just like not having it. How about work? Make work your new favorite. <laughs> Will Ferrell plays that part exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. Bob Newhart was very funny as Papa Elf. And then you've got Buddy's estranged father, who is this just hard-as-nails, tough guy. Used to be in the mobster movies back in the day. Plays that part in Opposites. Tough exterior. Very cynical. Plays it just perfectly. So we watched, and we all get a good chuckle out of it. And some of the younger youngest boys got a little distracted. They didn't really want to finish watching the movie. So they didn't make it all the way through. All the older boys and the girls and myself, we all made it through 100%. But it is a funny thing. I mean, just maybe it's me overthinking things. But I come up with this list of Christmas movies. And right now, especially, I think it's easy to be the guy from Gimbal's. The guy who's just not having it, who's telling Buddy the Elf, make work your new favorite. I think it's easy for us to be like that guy right now. Just the state of the world. I woke my wife up the other day. I don't remember if it was Thanksgiving or if it was the day after Thanksgiving. And she asked me, what have you been up to? so far and I'm up at 4:30 to 5 a.m. every day just that's my internal clock she's usually up 7:30 to 8 that's her internal clock and so I'm up already for 3 hours or so 
checking the news, recording a podcast, getting my podcast from the day before converted into a WordPress post. And I tell her, I check the news. It's all bad. (laughs) All the news is bad. I didn't see any good news. Uh, I check not to be Daily Wire, The Blaze on occasion, Epoch Times on occasion. It's all bad news. And I was thinking to myself, man, like the day of Thanksgiving, surely we should have more good news. There should be more good news. There was one story, I should correct myself, one story of this gal who accidentally texted the wrong number when she was inviting her grandson to Thanksgiving six years ago. And she's a very, very white lady. And she looks like a sweet lady. And she's texting this young black man with cornrows. And he texts back. He's like, you got the wrong number. I ain't your grandson. Can I still have a plate, though? (laughs) And, of course, her being uh, a grandma, she says, absolutely. Yeah, sure. You know, it's Thanksgiving. Come on over. And so six years running, this gal has had this kind of adoptive uh, grandson join their family for Thanksgiving. And that's a good story. That's beautiful. That's really, really good. But by and large, the news is not good. It's like every time you look up, there is some new controversy, some new scandal, some new angry reaction from these people over here and those people over there. And then what are we doing? And there's a crisis of leadership. And there is a crisis of followership for that matter. Where there is leadership, all too often we have people leading in a bad direction. And then people kick into uncritically following when they shouldn't. And when there's leadership in a good direction, it gets shouted down. And I think, as I've talked before, that this is indicative of the kind of judgment that Isaiah chapter 3 describes. I did a whole podcast episode on that where I went through Isaiah chapter 3. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. We're oppressing one another. That's where we're at. Infants are their oppressors. And I've lost count of the new people I have met in the past week or two weeks since I started my new job, I guess the past week since I started my new job, who say, yep, we've got two kids, a boy and a girl, and I think we're done. Wow, okay, a boy and a girl, and you're done. And you're asking me if I know how that happens. Do I Do I know how, how, that, how that happens? I think we've got it figured out. You guys maybe, <laughs> if you stopped at two, maybe you forgot how. I don't know. But infants are are oppressors. We find having children to be oppressive because we don't know what to do with our children. We don't know how to handle giving them attention regularly, nurturing them, leading them. 
guiding them along, sharing our resources with them, working hard to provide a better future for them. And quite frankly, the fact that a lot more young people are not having children, a lot more people are not getting married, a lot more people, young people, are not going to college, which usually I would say is probably a pretty good thing. Um, but if the reasons that young people aren't going to college are similar to their reasons for not getting married and not having children, that maybe is not so good, actually. If the reason is that we're afraid of commitment and we've given up on there being a future on God's green earth, that is not so good. Now, if you were not going to college, but you were getting married and starting families at a higher rate, and you were starting businesses, and you were entering the workforce and going into trades, that would be one thing. But my concern is that there's a lot of young people who have given up entirely on life, and they're just existing, going through life with as little effort as possible because they've been conditioned from the lawn up to think that any expensive energy, any consumption is something for them to feel guilty about. You know, I was listening to Doug Wilson the other day and he made some really, really solid points about pietism and progressivism having really hurt the expression of faith in this country. Pietism is all about making ourselves very pious, very moral, interpreting God's word in moral terms, in spiritual terms. We want to spiritualize everything. But once you start bringing too much talk of Jesus and what Jesus has done and the incarnation and the example that Jesus set for us and us needing to follow that and us needing to have a theology uh, regarding how to handle material prosperity, how to enjoy material goods, how to enjoy the fruits of our labors, how to abide by Jeremiah 29, where it says to seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh your God has brought you in your exile. The pietists don't like that. They don't feel comfortable with that. They want everything to be spiritual because secretly they have a kind of mind-body dualism dichotomy stuck in their heads that the spiritual is good and the material is bad and as soon as you start getting too practical too rubber meets the road too personal too material they shut down they either shut down emotionally and they're not hearing you anymore or they try to shut you down because that is carnal and fleshly and they don't know the difference between something being bodily a good thing that God made and something being carnal and fleshly. There is a difference. When all that exists in your opinion is your body, your physical body, and you're a materialist and you discount the spiritual, that is carnal. And that can lead to all kinds of deviant theories and worldviews. But so also, when you don't give any attention 
to understanding the purpose of God in creating the physical universe, creating this physical world, creating the animals and the plants and the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the atmosphere and the rain and the oceans and the lakes and the trees and the flowers and the grass and our bodies. Very quickly, you can get out of order in seemingly the opposite way to the materialists. Seemingly the opposite way. It seems like that at first blush. But maybe it's not. So, Doug Wilson's talking about all this and how we've gotten really, really bad. You have materialism in which all that exists to our minds is the physical. Science, whatever I can see, touch, taste, hear, I need to be able to experience something with one of my five senses in order for it to be real to me. And this is an enlightenment idea. This is not a new idea. Actually, ancient Greek philosophers, they subscribed to this view as well. It's not a new idea. There is no new thing under the sun. But those folks, those materialists, freak out when you start talking about God supernaturally doing something. Either in the past, with creation, with the flood, with the ten plagues of Egypt, or in the incarnation, Jesus walking on water, healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, and walking out of a tomb after three days in the grave, being raised from the dead, that makes materialists very uncomfortable. They don't have a theology of any sort. Their God is their belly. They're brute beasts. They scoff at everything they don't understand. And therefore, there's a lot of things that they just don't understand because they don't want to understand that. They don't want to see that. They don't want to go there. They're stubborn and willful and stiff-necked. And on the flip side, you get the spiritualists who don't want to participate in the physical world at all. And their reference point is not God's word first and foremost. Their reference point is everything that could possibly go wrong with other people mishandling the physical world that God made. If it can be possibly misused, then we're going to come up with clever rules like don't touch it. Don't taste it. Well, that will give you a kind of discipline, a kind of spirituality, but not godliness, really. Because you're missing the whole question of why maybe did God give you that thing in the first place? When Jesus has thousands come out to him to hear him preach in the countryside, and then they run out of food, They weren't planning to be out there for so long, but they got distracted. They were thinking first and foremost about what Jesus is saying. Hey, this is really good stuff. Where's this been all my life? Jesus sees that they're hungry and he has compassion on them. God sees their physical needs and God knows that they're going to have physical needs. That's not an accident. That's not a result of the fall. Adam and Eve were eating fruit in the garden before the fall. There was just one tree they weren't allowed to eat the fruit of, weren't supposed to eat the fruit of. 
But Jesus sees these thousands and all they've got, the disciples, all they've got are a few loaves and a few fish. And what does God do there? He miraculously increases the carrying capacity of that small amount of resources. Because God can do that kind of a thing. Jesus doesn't pare down and say, well, okay, everybody except for this person who thought ahead and brought some food, everybody else has to go home. You guys clearly haven't figured this out yet. Shame on you for not being wiser. He doesn't do that. He has compassion on them. And God supernaturally, miraculously, in a way that only God can, feeds thousands with a meal that really would have only fed a few. One one thousandth, perhaps, the number of people who were present. And the pietists get really confused at what Doug Wilson was talking about. A Nation of Ingrates was that episode, talking about Thanksgiving. The pietists get really confused. If we start talking about giving thanks to God for our material prosperity, we feel guilty about it because material prosperity is bad. You know what? Material prosperity is awful until you can't feed your family, until you're homeless, until you go bankrupt, until you can't buy Christmas gifts. All of this very spiritual sounding nonsense about how maybe it's for the best if we just let the country tear itself apart because we've become so wrapped up in our material blessings we've forgotten God. Here's a better idea. How about instead of committing ourselves to destruction, we repent? There's a novel concept. There's a biblical concept. Let's not be Jonah pouting on the hill above the city of Nineveh because he's begrudgingly preached repentance and the people listened and they did put on sackcloth and ashes and turn from their sins. Jonah gets bitter about God staying his wrath. He wants Nineveh to burn. He wants to see it come under judgment. He wants to see it destroyed. And I think that's part of why he wants to go the opposite direction. When God tells him to go to Nineveh and preach repentance, maybe in this country we should give up on materialism already. Maybe in this country we should give up on pietism already. Maybe in this country, rather than letting it all burn, letting our country tear itself apart, maybe what we should do is figure out a better way to honor God with everything that we have, however much or little it is. Maybe, just maybe, we should be seeking the welfare of the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile, like Jeremiah 29 says. This earth is not my home. I'm an exile. I'm a stranger in a strange land. Okay, you're in exile? Read Jeremiah 29 then, and then get back with me. Take a wife. Take a wife. Get married. Stop with this fear of commitment business. Grow up. And I realize some 
Some of us are having a hard time finding a wife. We want to find a wife or we want to find a husband. I say wife first and foremost because 80% of my audience, four out of five of the listeners to this podcast are male, self-identify as male. At least, at least that's what the metrics can pick up. That doesn't count for whole families in some case I know of listening to my podcast. But learn how to provide for a wife and take one. If you take one, you better provide for her and you better protect her. And if you don't have the strength to do that yet, get the strength. Proverbs says that a wise man enhances his might, figures out ways to increase his strength, work out, do some push-ups, some sit-ups, go for a jog, work out your brain, work out your mind, exercise your ability to communicate, your ability to understand when other people are communicating, grow in wisdom and stature before God and man, arise, kill, and eat, fill the earth and subdue it. Fulfill that great commission and fulfill that dominion mandate. Take a wife and know what to do in order to provide for her, in order to protect her. And then Jeremiah 29 also says to have children. Have children with this wife you've taken. Build a house, plant a garden, plant a vineyard, fill your house with good things like a wife and children. And then when your children grow up, Make sure they get married off. Help them find spouses. Help your sons find wives. Help your daughters find husbands who are going to love them, who are going to respect them, who are going to work together with them to fulfill this great commission and this dominion mandate, who are going to seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh their God has brought them in their exile. In Jeremiah 29, it's not a, hey, you know, Keep a bag packed any second now. No, actually, there are false prophets. In the context of Jeremiah 29, there are false prophets who are telling God's people in exile that God is going to bring them back to their homeland very shortly. Don't get comfortable. And Jeremiah, the Lord's prophet, the true prophet, sent by the Lord, speaking on behalf of the Lord, bringing the word of the Lord tells them, don't listen to those guys. Those guys are false prophets. They don't know anything. Here's what God says. God says, settle down, make yourself comfortable. It's going to be a minute. And when I say a minute, I mean generations. It's going to be generations of you being here. And quite frankly, my thought is, even if God is going to wrap this all up next week, if Jesus is coming again tomorrow in five minutes, how much better for the good Lord to find us busy about his work, living out the gospel. Thessalonians says in the New Testament that we should aspire to live a quiet life working with our hands, minding our own business. That's very fine. Work then. Work. I sit and I watch these Christmas movies and I grapple a little bit, especially with the ones where it's Santa Claus and elves and that's it. 
I grapple with, is this a good thing or is this materialism? And when they start talking about the Christmas spirit in the abstract, is that a good thing? Is that really missing the point? Maybe that's a lot of nonsense. Am I overthinking it? It's a wonderful life. Maybe you've got some weird theology in there with regards to angels or angelology. But you have God and his angels in the mix dealing with some real life frustration, some real life feelings that people have around the holidays very often. And at the end of the story, the moral is however much or little we have, we have one another and life is a beautiful gift from God that we shouldn't take for granted. That's all right. And they didn't scrub the script of all mentions, all even passing references to Jesus like modern Christmas movies so often do. It goes one way or the other. It's either a whole lot entirely about Jesus or not at all anymore. But that's always been the case. There's no new thing under the sun. It would be unwise, as Ecclesiastes and Proverbs say, to start talking about the good old days. Well, watch a Christmas story. A Christmas story? Sorry. Not a whole lot of baby Jesus in that one. I remember the lamp. I don't remember a lot of baby Jesus being the true meaning of Christmas. How the Grinch Stole Christmas? Yeah, it's a social gospel of sorts, actually. The Grinch is an antisocial character. I grapple with this a little bit because I don't want my children to inherit pietism from me, where with regards to Christmas movies or the Christmas holiday season, they try so hard to avoid anything material because that's untoward, that's unspiritual, that's ungodly, can't have that. It's polluting the purely spiritual experience that we should be having here. I don't want them to be pietists about the holiday of Christmas. I also don't want them to be materialists, where so long as we get a good meal, some good decorations up, some good presents exchanged, sing some good Christmas songs. As long as we do those things, that's all that matters. That That's a kind of materialism, quite frankly. I want us to have a good theology of what is God doing and why did God give us what he's given us in the incarnation of Jesus, in the fulfillment of his promise all the way back in the Garden of Eden to crush the head of the serpent through the offspring of the woman. His promise all the way back in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 to Abraham that all nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham's offspring. I want my children to understand that there would be no Christmas. Literally, you know, whether we're talking about secular folks like we did on an episode three or four back, or we were talking about 
who it is that secular folks are actually giving thanks to on Thanksgiving? Who, are you thanking the cosmic accident that is the Big Bang? Are you thanking random unguided evolutionary processes? Are you thanking yourself? Are you think you know who are you thanking really on Thanksgiving if you say in your heart that there is no God? It's folly. Similarly, the holy secular folks who do the Santa Claus, Buddy the Elf, Elf on the Shelf, presents and hot cocoa and lights, but no Jesus whatsoever, you wouldn't have a Christmas tradition to celebrate if not for the Gospels, if not for the incarnation of Jesus. Western civilization would have developed along very, very different lines. Read about the old pagan religion of the Anglo-Saxons and the Germanic folks and the Scandinavians. Read about their sacred groves and their human sacrifice. People were awful to one another. Christmas would look very, very different if not for the influence of Christian thinking, Christian thought, Christian worldview, intentionality. For all the bad rap that the Puritans get, I think they were really just trying to be very intentional and have pure expressions of Christian faith to where it's not either the spiritual side or the material side. It's both and. We're honoring God in spirit and in truth. And the truth being, am I living these things out? Am I acting like it? I preached last Sunday. I slept much better last night than I did last Saturday night. And preaching from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. You can go to the YouTube channel for some of you, Community Church. Watch that one if it strikes your fancy. But preaching from Hebrews six thirteen to 20, I'm struck by the passage immediately preceding in which there's a warning against apostasy and a falling away. And so I throw this word apostasy in my sermon early on as I'm trying to do a quick recap on the previous sermon before we jump into this selection for the morning. And I had first Lauren review my manuscript, look it over, first draft. Do you see anything untoward here? What's good? What's not so good? What could use some work? <clears throat> she gave me feedback. I go back, work the manuscript over again, come up with a second draft. Hey, Josiah, here is a pen and a highlighter. Can you please go through this? Highlight, underline, mark up. Anything that is confusing, weird, needs to be worded differently, needs to be explained better, needs to be thrown out because it's a distraction. He gives me feedback. I go back over it again. My third draft, I give to my second-born son, Eli. Hey, take a look at this. You know, Third verse, the same as the first and the second. His only criticism was, what does the word apostasy mean? I don't know what that word means. Oh, well, that's good feedback, actually. Because if you don't know, a whole lot of other people aren't going to know, and I need to unpack that, don't I? And so as I'm explaining it, I'm thinking about the context 
of apostasy in Hebrews chapter 5 and the first part of chapter 6. And it dawned on me that apostasy usually is referring to false teaching. We're saying things are true that are not true. We're, we're teaching people a false gospel. We're claiming things that are just contrary and opposite, divergent from what God says. In the context of Hebrews 5 and 6, apostasy has more to do with living as though you believe a different gospel or as though you don't believe the true gospel. So it's not just that you should live in such a way that demonstrates you believe in the true gospel. It's also a warning because when you don't do that, it indicates that you don't really truly believe these things. And that's where the whole worshiping God in spirit and in truth comes into play. We're supposed to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. When we offer our bodies, we live in a worshipful way. We aspire to live a quiet life, working with our hands, minding our own business. When we seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile, take a wife, have children, give those children away in marriage, build a house, plant a garden, have Thanksgiving, have the neighbor kids over to watch the movie Elf. Why not? I want to be intentional about it, but I also don't want to overthink it to the point that I'm stressing out because that would not be a good message to send to my kids. So we watched Elf. We don't make a big to-do about Santa one way or the other. Meh. No worse than Paw Patrol. Also no more real than Paw Patrol. We could talk about the historical character that this cultural figure is based off of. That's good. But also we don't need Santa because Christmas is quite all right without Santa. But here's a funny movie. Let's watch it. And it's part of the cultural conversation. So you're going to watch this. That's going to help you to be fluent with American culture as it stands right now. Younger ones, I'm not going to explain it over much to them because they're not even paying attention to the movie anyways. Older ones, absolutely. Hey guys, just to be clear, your mother and I have never lied to you. If some atheist comes along down the road and says that your Jesus is as made up as the Tooth Fairy or the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus, you can tell that atheist. Your parents, unlike his parents probably, never lied to you and said Santa Claus is real, Easter Bunny's real, Tooth Fairy's real. But we also will avoid the booby trap of, oh, look at these Christians. They're so strict and they're so severe and such fun suckers. Overthinking everything, never enjoying anything. No, 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 no. To the glory of God, we're going to enjoy the Christmas season. And we're not going to fool ourselves and one another thinking that we make ourselves righteous by coming up with useless rules. Don't see, don't touch, don't taste. I don't become holier by abstaining from eating Christmas cookies. In fact, I might actually be holier 
for enjoying some Christmas cookies to the glory of God. And so I shall. In any event, I got to run. That's enough for this morning. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.